Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. You can't have the Pretender's first album. That's mine. I bought it. You did not. The catchphrases. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? And the wannabes. Sometimes I see you dance around the house in my underwear. Doesn't make me Madonna. Never will. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And B-Rad. And today we have a once-in-a-lifetime interview with Sirius XM First Wave DJ and K-Rock Institution, Richard Blade. It's time once again for MV3's New Music Top 10. That's the chart which we think really reflects what you're actually listening, watching, and dancing to. Don't forget, Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media Mobile app. It's only a model. I'm in a weird mood. I, I, can't, I can't explain it. I know. I've I'm been in, in a weird undiscovered mood. country here. I'm, uh, well, your kid's gone. You, you, sent, you sent the boy to college. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down one. The nest is half empty. It's neither <laughs> half full nor half empty. It is half as much laundry. So, yeah, so we're all kind of feeling our way through this new world order here. You know, we left this England place because it was bogus. So if we don't get some cool rules ourselves, pronto, we'll just be bogus too. Yeah? How so? It really is kind of different then. I mean, I, didn't, I never thought about it, that. It is. It's quieter. I'll tell you, it's quieter. I mean, there's still one kid here we're still t- would take my daughter next month. But uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of weird. It's The thing that's weird about it is, you know, we're a pretty close family and you come home and he's here and you ask him how his day was and you find out. And, you know, like I've talked to him once since we left him in Massachusetts. And so it's like, what's going on? I don't really know. You know, it's just weird not to know what's going on every day. He's in I my, guess I better get used to it. He's in my time zone now. Maybe I can text him every day and ask him what's up. Yeah. I gave him your number in case he needs <laughs> bail. Yeah. That's creepy. Uncle Steve to the rescue. Uh, so, Here's the deal. Richard Blade, I have been listening to Richard Blade ever since I got um, satellite radio because he's – it feels like he's constantly on the First Wave channel. And Oh, you're such a Spearsy come lately. I know. I've been listening to Richard Blade since the 80s when he was on K-Rock here well, in L.A. Explain, to people who don't know who, who Richard Blade and K-Rock is, explain K-Rock to people. So K-Rock was the, was the big alternative station in L.A. They broke, uh, you know, they broke Depeche Mode. They broke the Go-Go's. Like, that's where people heard this music for the first time, and they were an, an L.A. institution. Not as much anymore. I think all kind of broadcast radio is a little more corporate. But uh, Richard Blade was a just a mainstay DJ there. He did, you know, he did drive time. He did lunch. He did – I mean, he was a, a featured DJ there for, you know, the, the glory years of alternative music. And then nowadays, I listen to him every day on my way home from work on Sirius XM First Wave. He is also like – he's the host a lot of times of these amazing like one-off uh, concert series out on the West Coast. Like if there's a, a bunch of mm-hmm. bands playing at the Microsoft Theater, he's their host or – And right. he also yeah, does – He does like regular DJ gigs at, at, on weekends. And he, the guy never sleeps from what I can tell. Yeah, he is – he's a busy guy. And the, the thing is interesting because at – Maybe not at the peak of his powers, but at, as K Rock was starting to decline, he just like I'm out, and he went to the Caribbean someplace around a dive shop, right, St. Martin. And we all just kind of thought, well, that's it. You know, that's the last we'll see of him. Good for him. I hope he enjoys it. And then he pops back up, and like you say, he's just, you know, he's always, you know, oh, I've got a wedding I'm doing. Oh, I'm doing a, a high school reunion this weekend. You know, he's a busy guy. Yeah, we're gonna talk a little bit more about uh, Richard Blade here in a minute before the interview, but first. Uh, Brad's got some pretty cool news about one of our newest sponsors. Today's show is sponsored by Away, the company that makes first-class luggage at a coach price. Away luggage is made with high-quality materials and comes in four sizes, carry-on, the cleverly named bigger carry-on, medium and large, and also nine colors, which helps you kind of stay away from the, is that my black bag game? I know that one. The luggage is offered at a much lower price compared to other brands because they cut out the middleman and sell directly to you, traveler. 
All their suitcases are made with premium German polycarbonate, unrivaled in strength and impact resistance. They have four 360-degree spinner wheels, which are guaranteed to give you a smooth ride, all the way from the curb to the overhead bin. They have this really cool TSA-approved zipper lock combination thing built into the bag and a removable washable laundry bag to keep your dirty clothes away from the clean clothes. Both of the carry-on sizes can also charge cell phones, tablets, e-readers, or anything else that's powered by a USB cord. And a single charge of your carry-on will charge your phone up to five times. Wow. So it's like, I know, it's amazing. And both of those carry-on sizes are compliant with all major U.S. airline dimension rules. They ship free to the lower 48 states, and it comes with a 100-day trial. If you have any problems in the first 100 days, you decide, this is not my bag, baby. And you just send it back, full, no questions asked, refund. Also has a lifetime warranty. With anything breaks, Away will fix it or replace it for life. And you got it, one of these carry-on bags, right? Yeah. I have the regular carry-on size, and I got to tell you, I love it. I've taken a couple trips with it already, and it's just – it's a great bag. Look, traveling can be a lot of fun, but getting there can be a real pain, right? I mean, going to the airport, it's just, oh. So anything that makes that a little easier is a good thing. And this bag, it's light, but it's strong. It's easy to move around on four wheels. It rolls really easily. The zipper locks are fantastic for paranoid people like me. And the built-in charger, I got to tell you, when I got the suitcase, I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And then I had this vision of me huddled on the floor, jockeying for plug space with the guy who runs the floor polisher so I could charge my phone. And I'm like, this is actually genius. It's really nice to just, oh, just wherever I happen to be, I can charge my phone. As a Stuck in the 80s listener, we have a special offer for you. Visit awaytravel.com backslash radical and use the promo code radical during checkout to get $20 off a suitcase. That's awaytravel.com backslash radical. Use the promo code radical for $20 off a new suitcase that will make traveling a little easier and a lot more stylish. You know where that would come in perfect? It'd come in perfect at 80s in the sand. You know it, brother. And that's actually why I was talking to uh, Richard. He is going to be one of the hosts, one of the main hosts, and he is the featured DJ at 80s in the Sand. Nice. And for those who don't know, that's November 11th through 18th, and it's going to be amazing. It's at the Breathless Resort in Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic. If you've never heard of Punta Cana, it's the resort area of the country. It's like Cozumel and... And Cancun is to Mexico. Okay. Nice. And the lineup for it is incredible. I I had to, I always have to write it down because I can remember like I can remember four bands, maybe five bands. Yeah. The lineup is crazy. So I'm gonna try to get through it. Loverboy, Night Ranger, Starship, Howard Jones, Winger, Berlin, Smithereens, The Motels, Thompson Twins, Tom Bailey. Jody Watley, An Emotion, New Shoes, Flock of Seagulls, <gasps> Stacey Q, Annabella's Bow Wow Wow, Win in Rome UK, and then you have these 80s tribute bands like The Reflex and Jesse's Girl. You also have MTV's Alan Hunter, Nina Blackwood, Downtown Julie Brown, Mark Goodman. You get Richard Blade. So basically every cool SiriusXM DJ is there. What kind of distinguishes 80s in the sand from some of these other trips? You have actors who are there, too, doing uh, meet and greets and Q&As. So you have Andrew McCarthy, Anthony Michael Hall, Curtis Armstrong, a.k.a. Booger, Deborah Foreman, a.k.a. My Love Goddess. uh, (laughs) And co-trivia host. And and she'll be co-hosting trivia with me, which I just finished the questions today, by the way. So four four days of trivia questions. It literally took me like two hours this morning to bang them out. Amanda Weiss, Diane Franklin will be there too. The uh, I swear to God, hand to hand to the heavens, the trivia questions, people will get them. They're not as hard as they were on year one of other trips. That people will get them. <laughs> no America's Cup questions. <laughs> I thought about it. I did. I was like, well, what's the easiest America's Cup? And I was like, don't do that. Don't go there, Spearsy. What do they call the sailing competition that rich people do for fun? <laughs> what? What kind of boat is it that they have in the competition? A sailboat? Yes. Uh, yes. Of course. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. So so, we, so Richard and I talk for about 40 minutes. We cover some of his um, 
his amazing friendships with bands like Depeche Mode. We talk about his new autobiography that's coming out November yeah. 2nd. Sounds amazing. I know. It sounds amazing. Wait till you hear all the details on that. He'll talk a little bit about the Breathless Resort, which he's been to. And so he'll, he'll give you kind of a sneak preview of what to expect and what he'll be doing on the trip. And uh, we just have some fun. We, we share some interview tips with each other. I will say that there's a couple times where the audio gets a little staticky or poppy. Totally my fault. We were just having a couple technical difficulties. It's not on your end. It's on our end. But it's uh, we didn't I think want. It's to, Harvey. <laughs> we Harvey. Just, we did not want to uh, to trim out anything he had to say. So, uh, without further ado, here's our conversation with uh, the amazing Richard Blade. Reach out of space. Uh, so we have the great, the famous, the infamous Richard Blade here on Stuck in the 80s this week. How are you doing, Richard? I am doing great. And Steve, how are you doing? Oh, fantastic. It's uh, surreal to talk to you. I listen to you every day on First Wave on the drive home. Well, thank you so much. Now, where are you based? So I know what time zone you're in so I can give you a shout out tomorrow. I'm out in Orlando, Florida. Oh, well, I was just uh, talking to someone about Orlando uh, earlier today because I was mentioning the fact that Depeche Mode had played one of their first shows of the World Violator Tour at, uh, in Orlando, and they flew me out there along with um, a K-Rock engineer called Scott Mason to broadcast the show live, and it was great. Orlando's a great, great town. Oh, excellent, excellent, excellent. I know you're doing a fan takeover today of the Depeche Mode Facebook page, right? Absolutely. In fact, the uh, live shots of Dave from the World Violation Tour were taken in Orlando, right around the corner from you. Excellent. Cool. Cool. And this is all in advance of a um, – there's a, a screening this weekend of a, of a movie about uh, their 101 show in Pasadena, right? Absolutely. It's the documentary that came out oh, called 101, and they knew it was going to be big because uh, they'd never played at a stadium before. And so on June 18th of 1988, when they put those uh, tickets on sale for that night – and they sold 40,000 in the first day, and they had to get to 65,000. They knew it was going to be huge. So they hired a documentary crew to follow them around on the tour. And it just so happened that uh, the show in Pasadena was the 101st date of the tour. And when I was interviewing the guys uh, for K-Rock, I said to uh, Fletch, I said, so you've got a long tour. And he said, yeah, we're doing uh, 101 shows and when I started um, recapping our conversation, 101 didn't sound good. So I said, well, it's going to be Concert 101. And Alan Wilder stepped forward and goes, 101, I love it. And then from <laughs> then on, it became known as 101 because Alan grabbed that. So uh, that DVD that you're talking about in that film, which is going to screen actually at the Rose Bowl, the site of the concert is uh, quite a memorial to an amazing tour and a show that uh, anyone who was there will never forget. That's sort of like the the moment that they sort of became like conquerors, really, of the, uh, in a way. You're exactly right. And the band sees it that way as well. Uh, Dave Garn, in an interview with me that's been published many times, said it wasn't just a big show for us. It was a big show for alternative music in America because suddenly here was this band from England that had never had an American top 10 hit. Uh, they were selling out a stadium that was reserved for, you know, hair bands and the Rolling Stones. Who else could sell out a stadium? And suddenly Depeche Mode did it. So it really was a turning point in that genre of music that we now call classic alternative. Back then it was electronic or new wave. But uh, it defied the odds. And in my uh, upcoming autobiography, there's a whole chapter devoted just to that one concert. And it's called Music for the Masses, because uh, that's how they saw the tour going into it. And ironically, the uh, title of the, uh, that album lived up to uh, its name because they did play to more than 1.2 million people on that tour. Wow. Just yeah. incredible. Yeah. And and the, the staying power of that band over the years. I mean, they. I mean, to this day. I mean, I know they're they're they're, you know, getting ready to do a tour right now, and I mean, they still pack in amphitheaters and everything. I mean, they, there's never a, a spare seat when they play. No, there's not. They they are sold out everywhere. They're playing four nights at the Hollywood Bowl wow. in Los Angeles. I mean, that is crazy. Four nights, eighteen thousand people a night, 
And the demand is still so high that the tickets are being sculpted at two to three times face value. So it just shows the popularity of that band. And, you know, when Depeche Mode came on the scene, they were influenced by groups like Kraftwerk and artists like Giorgio Moroder. But now if you talk to virtually anyone in the world of electronic music and say, who's your influence? They all say Depeche Mode. Yeah, I would imagine. When when you look back to the the 70s or when you try to find the germ that becomes uh, new wave music what what bands pop to mind well two that i just mentioned and both by coincidence from germany uh, one is Kraftwerk, and one is giorgio moroder because they push the electronic side of the music that we know and love into the forefront Craftwork because they were such a pioneering synthesizer band, and Giorgio Moroder because he was willing to go outside of the framework of the guitar and drums and just use the synth to program beats. And his work that he did with Donna Summer, even though we think of that as disco, if right. you listen to the beat and you listen to the uh, the rhythm of "I Feel Love," that really was one of the most influential electronic. Uh, singles ever and again in the book I, I talk about the fact I try and stay in the moment I try and pretend it's as it's happening but I do refer to the fact that as much as when I was first playing that song and I was DJing in Europe at the time when I was playing it I said unknown to me there were people in Paris and Basildon and Liverpool listening to the same music and thinking I want to play this I better form a band and the references are to OMD being Liverpool Daft Punk being Paris and Depeche Mode being Basildon. So when it comes to electronic, I tip my headphones definitely to Giorgio Moroder and uh, Kraftwerk. And for the um, more mainstream, if you can call it new wave music, the, the look, the feel, the lyrics, the way it was put together, the way it was different from regular rock, it goes to a group and an artist uh, the group is Roxy Music because they really pioneered glam rock and which became New Romantic and Duran Duran and Spandau Ballet and so many others. And of course, the uh, altar that everyone worships at in the world of music, or as John Taylor said to me, I went to school as a musician. My teacher was David Bowie. <laughs> it's funny because every, um, I, I, I was hoping you'd say Roxy Music uh, of all the bands from across the pond that I've interviewed over the last 12 years, the one common thing that I always hear is Roxy Music, David Bowie. I mean... Oh, I, I was at college. I was I was in my first year at college watching Top of the Pops. Now, Top of the Pops is a phenomenon in England, uh, particularly back in the late 60s and throughout the 70s, that has no equivalent in America. If you imagine taking Bandstand and Soul Train and MTV and Video One and Friday Night Videos and putting them all together, they would have 50% of the influence on music that Top of the Pops had in England. Every kid was required almost by law to watch Top of the Pops. And when a band debuted on Top of the Pops and put on a great performance, it changed their life. And I remember the first time I saw Roxy Music and they did Pajama Rama. And I just was stunned. The only other time I can remember sitting back in my seat in the uh, student common area being absolutely blown away was when a band came on and performed Seven Seas of Rye, and I was I'd never seen anything like it. That was Queen, and so uh, you know Queen were to rock what Roxy Music was to new wave music. But Bowie and Roxy Music, without a doubt, the world of music that I love would be very very different without those two artists. Yeah, there's the one other name I hear that pops up from time to time. <clears throat> I, I, I don't, from Tim Butler at the Psychedelic Furs to I, I'm trying to think who else. Maybe Jim Kerr, Simple Minds mentioned it to me. It seems like everyone who who really hit it big over there claims to have at least seen the Sex Pistols perform once, and that was the moment that they said, "I can do this," and they formed a band as well. Well, absolutely. I mean, the Pistols were formative. I was out of England at the time, and I was touring Europe as a, a DJ, so I didn't see it. Then I came, you know, while they were exploding when they released Nevermind the Bollocks, I was going to America. But 
you're absolutely right. Everyone claims to have seen the Sex Pistols. <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of like Woodstock amongst you know late sixty year olds in America. Everyone who's in their late sixties went to Woodstock. You know, it's like nine million people were there, according to uh, popular reports. But the Sex Pistols were very, very uh, influential. I mean, because of the Sex Pistols, the Clash formed. Billy Idol went to see the Sex Pistols, and uh, he was there with his. Uh, Bromley contingent, as he called them, because he was from an area uh, outside London called Bromley. And um, his kind of girlfriend at the time uh, was a girl called Susie Sue, who went on to form Susie and the Banshees. And they were at the Sex Pistols concert. And um, Tony Wilson was at the Sex Pistols concert, who went on to form Factory Records and start the Hacienda in Manchester, which was a legendary club where everyone from Stone Roses to New Order came out of. Uh, so, I mean, the Pistols' influence on punk music, particularly in the UK, cannot be overstated, uh, even though it's a kind of music. And I'll be quite honest, I'm not so much into hardcore punk. But, you know, when I, I meet one of the surviving members of the Pistols, I always shake their hand and say, thank you, man, for what you did, because uh, without them, again, music would be so different because they broke the boundaries and they said to the kids, you don't have to be a great musician. You just have to have passion. Richard, I wanted to uh, ask you about 80s in the Sand. Uh, we'll both be at it in a couple months. Is this the first mega 80s vacation event that you've been involved in? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I've done quite a few um, shows and concerts around the world, but they've usually been, you know, one off, just uh, one particular band playing and they have me come down and host or DJ with them. Well, you know, like Spandau Ballet or Duran or In Excess or something like that, but uh, never a group like this uh, together because, I mean, this is a crazy lineup. When I talk about it on First Wave, I literally have to stop because it, I would go on for days, you know, and it's not a talk show. It's a music show, you know. So I, I'm, I'm the one who's saying, you know, Tom Bailey from the Thompson Twins and Howard Jones and Loverboy and Starship and Berlin and Flock of Seagulls and Motels and who have I forgotten because there's so many others. It's just crazy. And then I have to drive them to the website, which is 80sinthesand.com. But I, I'm so excited because uh, the organizer, Steve Robinson, actually flew me out there about five months ago to shoot some promo videos and the resort is incredible you are going to love it steve when you go out there i mean it's all inclusive so you can leave your wallet at home and the pool is about five times the size of an olympic pool i mean it is ridiculously big and they've got some great stages there and it's right on the beach you don't have to cross the road to go to the beach or take a bus or anything like that it's right there at the beach and all the bars are open bars, so uh, I've got a feeling there's going to be some real partying going on when the bands are playing. It's it's going to be so much fun. Oh, I know. Everyone's really looking forward to it. The the, uh, the amount of Facebook groups that are out there talking about it now is just amazing. I mean, just people posting 20 times a day about you know what they're going to do when Berlin's on stage, or whether who what they're going to say to you know uh, Andrew McCarthy when they meet him, and. and just craziness. Um, do you do you know all what you'll be doing there for the event? Yeah, I've got uh, a rough itinerary that I was given. I'm one of these people, though, that I show up and I say, all right, where do you want me? I'm here to work and have a good time at the same time. <laughs> so uh, I, I never, you know, back away from uh, the opportunity to uh, really, you know, dive headfirst into things. But I know for a fact I'm going to be doing a couple of DJ sets, which I'm really looking forward to. And hopefully, I'm also going to be uh, uh, doing a couple of sets with my buddy Stephen Wayne, who is an incredible uh, video DJ, and he's going to be bringing his setup. So uh, in between the bands, there'll always be something going on. I mean, it's going to be fantastic. Plus, there's um, a tribute band going out there called The Reflex, which is an 80s cover band. And uh, as as much as they are not Howard Jones and they are not Night Ranger, they're worth seeing because they bring the party, and I, I love that. So I'm going to be at virtually all of the venues, and I'm staying at the resort. I'm not hiding, so I'm going to be saying hi to everyone and uh, hanging out on the beach and going swimming. And then I'm uh, taking uh, an excursion out to a cenote or blue hole, depending what you want to call it. In Spanish, it would be cenote. And um, then to the uh, this beach, which has the whitest sand 
you've ever seen and the bluest water it's crazy i mean i lived in the caribbean for two and a half years in saint martin and i've never seen anything like this it's called uh, capacana beach and it was so great that after steve took us there I asked if we could go back another day. He said, well, you've seen it already. You know, you shot the video and the promo. I said, I know. I want to go and hang out. So uh, that's great. So I'll be leading that. And uh, I'll be teaching paddleboarding when we go there. If anyone wants to learn to paddleboard, uh, if there's any space left on the excursion, because I know that Steve Robinson said it was the number one um, excursion that people were signing up for. So it might be, you know, completely booked. But if so, I'll do a second day. I don't mind and take you out paddleboarding and everything. It's great. And the blue hole is fantastic. You can jump. 30 feet they have a platform 30 feet above this blue hole that is crystal clear but it's got this blue um crystal in it so it it gives uh, a glow a blue glow and you jump into it and it's fantastic if you've got a gopro bring it with you hold the gopro jump in and you won't believe the result uh, of the film that's going to be fantastic also steve has asked me to preside over a couple of weddings and vow renewals and I'm actually a minister, believe it or not. I am a clergy with the Universal Life Church. And occasionally I will do weddings. I did what the first time I, I did a big wedding was on television for um, Paige Hemis, who used to be on uh, ABC's Extreme Makeover. Now she's on the Hallmark Channel, does their morning show. And I married her and her husband. And I've done a few other weddings um, when people kind of, kind of, you know plead with me or they're really good friends because it is a lot of work but apparently i'm going to do some weddings down in punta cana which is going to be fun so uh, i'm looking forward to that and i know that one of the nights i'm definitely djing uh with howard jones so it'll be like me opening then howard jones playing and then when howard uh, wraps up things i'll go back on stage right away and keep the party going so that's going to be great so i'm going to be pretty busy and i'll be there the whole time so I'm, I'm looking forward to taking photos with people if anyone wants anything signed or get you know get pick up a copy of the book when they're there and, and get it signed i'm i'm more than happy please approach me i'm good with everything I'm, I'm flattered when someone asks for a photograph with me you know i mean it's the, you know what what you dream of as a kid so why not you know, I, I interviewed Terry Nunn from Berlin earlier this year, and I so badly wanted to ask her about you and her because I knew you'd both be together at 80s, uh, you know, in the sand, but I didn't know if it was a touchy subject or not. But now I hear you have a whole chapter devoted to her in your uh, book. Absolutely. I mean, the book has uh, – it's an autobiography. It's not a memoir. It's not, this is the story of Duran Duran, and this is a story of <laughs> – no, it's my story, and that's why it's called World in My Eyes. Uh, it's just a coincidence that happens to be a Depeche Mode song title. And when I came up with that title, the wife loved it right away. And so um, the publisher said, well, we'll just use it. And I said, no, I've got to get permission. He goes, no, you don't. It's not a copyrighted phrase. I said, look, I'm best friends with Depeche Mode. I'm not going to go and screw them. So I wrote to Martin, and he wrote right back to me the next day and said, I would be thrilled for you to use World in My Eyes as your title. So the the story of the book is is my life from, from being born, basically, uh, going to Oxford, going to Europe, coming to America, and, um, you know, right through. But a lot of the uh, chapters are dedicated to specific artists. There's three on Depeche Mode, and each one, every chapter, by the way, is named after a song, except for one, uh, and that's the chapter about the Rose Bowl. That one is called Music for the Masses, named after an album. But I'm going to get to Terry Nunn. I haven't forgotten. Uh, you know, the Duran Duran chapter is called Wild Boys, uh, and so and so on throughout the entire book. But the Terry Nunn chapter is called No More Words, and... The underlying theme of the book, in addition to the fact uh, it shows how I got into music and my love for music, the underlying theme is the three great loves of my life, the three women in my life that I love the most outside of my mother. And one was a girl at college uh, who was my first great love called Carolyn Wilson when I went to Oxford. The second was Terry Nunn. And the third is my wife, Krista, uh, who I love desperately. And uh, she's my third and final love. But Terry and I, we had an, an incredible, uh, passionate uh, love affair. Uh, and I wanted to marry her so badly. And she wanted to marry me, but she wanted me to wait a little bit. Well, because uh, both our careers were just taking off. And then uh, when she was ready, something happened uh, which uh, made it... Um, 
the wrong time for us to be together. And uh, then we didn't speak for over seven years. Uh, but the everything is documented in great, great detail in the book. And I mean, I, I share everything with with Terry still. Now we've become friends again after not speaking for seven years. I got a, a rough mock up of the cover yesterday and she was one of the first people I sent it to. And I texted it over to her and uh, she texted back right away. She texted effing hot. And <laughs> I was pleased with that. And I said, if you think that was hot, wait till you read no more words, because I've asked if she wants to read it. And she said, no, I want to read it in the book. But it, no punches are pulled. And I, I talk about what an idiot I was. And I talk about everything that went down between the two of us and the passion that we shared and the romance and the love and the sex and all the different stuff. And it's a really, for me, emotional chapter. And when I wrote it, I didn't tell Terry that she was one of my three great loves, you know. And, and one of my fears was that when that came out, and it was actually in the Orange County Register just last week, they did an article on me uh, with the headline, He Just Can't Get Enough. And they teased the book and they said the theme is three great loves. You know, my fear was that Terry would come back and go, oh, really? He, I thought it was just like a little fling. That's how I look at it, you know. And you're like, oh, I thought it was more than that. But uh, apparently it meant a lot to her as well. So, um, you know, we remain fantastic friends. And if you get Terry at the right time, you know, when she's not being chased by, you know, 30 people wanting photographs and autographs, if you sit down with her and ask her, She'll tell you, and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, because um, I have nothing but good things to say about her. She is an amazing, amazing girl, and uh, I wouldn't trade the time we had together for, for anything. It was, it was absolutely wonderful. But I can't wait for you to read the chapter, No More Words, which uh, she dedicates to me on the second album right after we'd broken up. Is the book going to be available for people to buy at 80s in the Sand? Yes, it is. In fact, we just got the uh, mock-ups of the cover yesterday and um i know this will have aired by then but uh, i'm gonna the mock-ups of the cover are going up on depeche mode.com uh, no depeche mode's facebook page in just a few minutes time to have people start voting on which one they want as the cover and um as soon as that's announced uh the people at the publisher because i'm not self-publishing it's a real publisher it's indigo river they are going to put together a pre-sale which is going to be either five or 10,000 copies, and that's it for the pre-sale. I think 5,000 are going to be hardback, and then 5,000 are going to be uh, what they call trade paperback size, not the smaller ones, but slightly bigger paperbacks. There's so many photographs in the book as well, you know, shots that you've never seen before, just, you know, goofing off with Dave Garn from Depeche Mode or, you know, hanging out with uh, Barbara Streisand and, and stuff like that when I was Dick Shepard before I was Richard Blade. And... Um, so all that stuff is in the book, and if you pre-order it, you'll get it on the day it comes out, which is November 2nd. And if you bring it to Punta Cana, then I'll uh, happily sign it, and we'll have a few there. We can't bring that many because we have to ship them in and go through customs and all that, but we'll probably bring 100. So you've, you've done all these amazing interviews over the years. I'm, as someone who interviews you know, the important figures of the 80s myself, I'm kind of curious. What is your process for researching before you do an interview? Well, first up, I want to find out what the artist wants to talk about. So if they've got a new album, I want to listen to the album. If they've got a book, I want to at least scan through it and pick out some uh, passages that would be good. If they've got a movie or a TV show, then uh, I want to find out a little about that so I know what I'm talking about. And then I try and get into their background. You know, what was the real highlights for them? And was there a low light? Was there a moment that they thought there? career was over um was there a turning point you know were they going in one direction and then they suddenly stopped and went in the other so i'll make a few little notes to myself and this was all prior to wikipedia so uh that's how i would go into it these days it's a lot easier because everything's available you know on the internet but back in the 80s and 90s when bands were new and first on the scene and just coming over from england you had to kind of scurry for any information you could get. And mostly it was just press releases from the record company of what they wanted you to know. So uh, I was kind of fortunate because um, my uh, mom and dad 
were in England. At least my mum was. My dad passed away, uh, unfortunately, right when my career was taken off. And that's a, a huge part of the book, right in the halfway point. Um, and she would send me uh, information about the bands and things like smash hits and uh, Melody Maker. So I would have like at least the UK viewpoint. And I don't know if you know about the UK press, but they'll, uh, they're not the kindest. So... Um, they would write, you know, all the the dirt about the bands, and uh, not that I was one of those muckrakers, but I always like to know um, slightly the darker side as well, because I think the artist responds to that. Because if you are all just you're wonderful, you're wonderful, you're wonderful, uh, it gets so boring. It's like an interview on Entertainment Tonight or something. It, there's no depth to it. So uh, I want to. I always like to try and make the artist feel that they've had a good time, and that the person that they are talking with, uh, in this case me. Uh, is involved with them and uh, is willing to put a little work into it. So that's how I address an interview. Did you? Is there an interview that comes to mind where where things just just didn't go well? From you know, it was just like a swing and a miss. Yeah, you know, a couple of times. Um, once with Sting. Sting is such a talent. He's one of the most musically talented people on the planet. Um, Stuart Copeland, his drummer, said to me once, I was at Stuart's house, and he said, the thing about Sting is you could pick Sting up and put him down in the most remote village in Africa that had never seen a white man before and had no idea what music was and so built their own musical instruments for the last 600 years. And Sting would sit down with the tribe's elders and he would ask them about the musical instruments and he would learn to play those instruments and by the time the sun was setting, he would be playing those instruments better than anyone in the tribe. He's that kind of just natural genius. But because he is so good at what he does and knows it, sometimes uh, if you catch him on the wrong day, then uh, you can suffer his wrath. And uh, I think I caught him on the wrong day once and... Uh, I asked him, I said, what's your role in the band? This was when he was still with the police in 83. And he looked at me and he said, I consider myself de Fuhrer. It was the first time anyone has ever compared themselves to Hitler. <laughs> uh, it was like, wow, where do you go from there? So that was a tough interview. Um, Devo, quite recently, just a couple of years ago, uh, I interviewed them and all I could get was one-word answers out of them. And I don't know why, because I'd interviewed them many times in the past, and they were always fun, and I know them personally. And that was a tough one, and that was done remotely. I was in Los Angeles. They were in the Sirius XM studios in New York. Uh, it sounded to the listeners like we are in the same room, thanks to the way it was hooked up. But that was a disastrous interview in my book. Uh, so those are tough ones. And then other ones, you go into them thinking they're going to be bad, like Morrissey in 1990 when he came by uh, Kerak and he'd never done an interview before, and everyone said he is just going to rip you apart. And we had 15 minutes scheduled, and we hit it off so well that after an hour and a half, the people from Warners were dragging him away, and he didn't want to leave. And uh, that was, you know, that one can be found on the Internet um, from 1990, the Morrissey at Kerak interview. Wow. I uh, I flamed out really badly with uh, Cindy Lauper one time. What happened? It was a morning it was a morning interview and I'm always cautious of those because I <clears throat> I know it's probably nobody's first pick to do an interview at 9 in the morning and she was touring on a blues album. It wasn't um so it was a you know it was a different genre than she was, you know, than we all knew her for. And she really wanted to talk about that album, and I get that, you know, because she was touring on it and supporting it and promoting it. But um, just um, not real happy to talk about anything else beyond that and just was, I don't know, like a, a, a brand of New York crankiness that I maybe hadn't encountered before. It's, yeah, you know, sometimes people just have – I always try and give someone a second chance because to me, everyone, everyone can have a bad day. Everyone, including myself, including you, including the wife. And if it's the first time you meet them and you meet them on that bad day, it doesn't mean they're always like that. It just means they've been running late. They couldn't find their dog that morning. Someone tipped 
uh, a scorching hot cup of coffee over their favorite outfit and they had to rush home and change and they think they've got to throw that one away. And so they're just in a bad mood. So I always give people a second chance. If they're still a dick to me the second time, then that's it. Done. <laughs> Out of my life. You, you've had so many great interviews. So, so I have to ask you, who's, who's still left on your bucket uh, list? Madonna. I would like to. I've never had the chance to interview Madonna. Uh, I would love to. Um, Freddie DeMann, her manager, kept her away from Video One and Video Beat, the TV shows that I did in the 1980s because she was such an MTV darling, understandably. I mean, she was was and is massive. But to me, I, I think Madonna would be fantastic to interview. And I'd like to do it over like three days kind of thing because, I mean, what a career. And talk about breaking glass ceilings and, and being such a unique and talented artist. I would... I think she is the one I would most like to interview. That's the one who comes to mind, musically speaking, uh, because you know I've just got massive admiration for her. I know it's not first wave, and I know it's not new wave, but it's the truth. <laughs> well, there's still chance. I mean, I would love when you get that. I am going to listen to that one for sure. No, oh, absolutely. I'll, I'll I'll go over to the big eighties that day and uh, do it because I mean she is she's just the bee's knees, as you would say in England. <laughs> So, so last question, any, any last minute advice to those who are uh, coming to 80s in the sand or are thinking about booking a, a trip to 80s in the sand? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you're thinking about going to 80s in the sand, here's the number one t- tip. Don't bring a lot of clothes with you. You're not going to need it. You're going to the Caribbean. The weather is going to be fantastic. So you just need a couple of T-shirts, a couple of shorts, couple of swim trunks or bikinis or whatever and that's it and as for shoes you don't need heels you're going to be in the unless you're single you know looking for a guy or something like that and you want to look you know real sharp but flip-flops comfy shoes you can literally go with a carry-on and that's all you need um everything's available there it's all inclusive and it is going to be a party so many of these bands are pumped for it i ran into howard jones and he was talking to me about it and he can't wait terry is just gung-ho sosa band berlin uh and the reflex uh are up for it i just did a gig on friday uh with mike score of a flock of seagulls and that was all he could talk about so it is going to be a real party and uh the other tip is bring a big memory card and bring your charger for your camera or your phone because you're going to need it because there's going to be so many photo ops there. It's going to be just fantastic. So that's all I can say because, you know, it's going to be a unique experience for everyone. Everyone's going to see it differently because there's so many opportunities to see so many different bands and different styles of music. But I think at the end of the week, everyone's going to be asking the question, Who's on the lineup for 80s in the Sand 2018? Um, and I myself will be, bring, will be bringing multiple copies of your autobiography because I'm going to get them signed for friends and fans and one for myself because there's no way. I, I cannot wait till early November to read that book. Well, one little tip for you, Steve, is if you get them in the pre-sale – the pre-sale is going to include a bonus because coming from radio, I always like to give things away. You know, I mean, that was the one of the big things on K-Rock. Oh, what can we give away today? What can we give away? So on the pre-sale, everyone who orders the book also gets a unique digital code, which will uh, be available through a website. I think it's going to be richardbladebook.com, but I'm not sure about that. But it, it's all going to be determined in the next 14 days. And that digital code allows you... A, to download all of the photographs in the book in high res. B, to download 200 more photographs that have never been seen before and are not in the book. And these, none of these are, you know, press handouts. These are stuff I took backstage just hanging out with, you know, Dave Garn or sitting down at the table with Martin Gore. And I've just been scanning some in before we were talking. There's one with me uh, joking around with Mr. Zoolander himself, with Ben Stiller. Uh, at a um, acoustic Christmas that Depeche Mode are playing at. I mean, so it's stuff that 
has never been seen before. So you get those two lots of photographs, all in high res. So if you want to save them or use them as a screensaver or whatever you want to do, you get those. Plus, you get that Morrissey interview I mentioned earlier, all 90 minutes of it. Oh, nice. You get a Duran Duran interview that was done for the 35th anniversary of Rio with John and Nick and Roger going through the album track by track and talking about it from each of their different viewpoints, how they saw the album. And you get an interview with, um, oh, Depeche Mode. <laughs> yeah, the Depeche Mode uh, interview as well. So you get all of those in the uh, in the pre-sale, and um, if and if you bring the book, you get it signed as well. So all of that is uh, coming up in the pre-sale. So I would really advise anyone who can get it, and then you get it delivered, of course, on the day of the uh, book being available, which is November second. Wow, amazing! Hey, Richard, thanks for your time. This has been an amazing interview. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much, Steve. And uh, I'm really enjoying your podcast, and may it run for many, many years. I hope so, too. There he is, Richard Blade. What'd you think, Brad? You know, it's funny because it's like you're listening to the radio and then Spears pops in there like, wait a minute, it's kind of jarring because that voice is so familiar. It's just kind of weaved into the yeah. weaved into the drive time of Los Angeles. Um, I have to say I almost did a spit take when I was listening to this and he talks about uh, how he's a uh, pastor of the Universal Life Church, which yeah, you too can be a – do you have an internet connection? You too can be a uh, ordained minister. He talks about that wedding that he did on TV. Uh-huh. I know the bride. Really? Well, I don't. Well, I worked with her. She was like the departmental admin for the engineering group. And I don't know if you know who she is. She was on Extreme Makeover Home Edition is probably the thing she's most famous for. No, yeah, I didn't. She's an attractive young lady. And, uh, you know, so she was probably in her early 20s and was the admin for a group of engineers who hadn't really probably been that close to an attractive woman ever in their life. So I felt kind of bad for it because people would like loiter at her desk like, oh, hey, Paige, uh, do you want (laughs) to... Uh, like breathe some of the same air I breathe sometime, and you know she was very polite, very professional, but it was just like, guys. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of funny. It's funny ever ever since we did this interview. Um, I did this interview a few days ago, and I, I've been driving around, you know, doing my chores that I do on weekends, and he's on the radio. And every time I yeah. hear his voice, I just go, "Ooh, it's Richard." I mean, it's just, it's one yeah. of those weird things where little you, rush. Yeah, yeah. What did you think about us giving advice to each other on how to interview people? Uh, you know, it's a little inside baseball, but I liked how it got to um, – you were saying, well, you know, I had kind of this tough interview with Cindy Lauper, and he, he starts with this really touchy-feely, squishy, like, oh, I like to give people a chance. You know, maybe they're just having a bad day. Maybe their dog died. And he goes through that, and I'm like, okay, okay, you know, off you go to yoga practice. And then he ends up – you know, he finishes with, of course, they do it again. They're out of here. <laughs> yeah. F them. I, lo- I thought that was very funny. Yeah, yeah. God, man. Yeah, so such a fun talk. We, the funny thing is we were we probably talked for five or ten minutes before we started the interview, and we probably talked for five or ten minutes after the interview was done, and we just sharing stories and just talking about 80s in the sand and uh, just being really, you know, just enjoying the conversation. I, I, I sort of wish I'd used some of that audio too because it was really – I was much less stiff um, – in the intro and the outro for that conversation, but still, nonetheless, great guy. I can't wait to meet him in purpose. I will be buying his book. I will have that book on November 2nd. I will be taking it to, with me to Punta Cana to get it signed. So, You know what I'd like to get signed, Steve? <laughs> the Seggies. Ah, by the sound of the tone, it must be time for what? Listener emails sent to Steve. L-E-S-S. Because less, less is more. Look, you oh, said you want acronyms, my friend. You I said you want an acronym. Jeez, I can't believe I stepped into that. You don't like that one? Okay. No, I, I do, actually. Let's no, I like it. I, I really do like it. But I, I, I wondered where you were going with it. Now I see. Okay. Uh, so a couple shows ago, maybe it was last show. I don't remember. My memories for shit these days. They go so fast. <laughs> We had, we had it. We had another email from one of our, our our friends, basically telling us a really stupid thing he did in the name of love. Yeah. So we invited everybody to 
send in a letter about the dumb things you've done for love. Bring your pain forth to entertain us. Damn it, Bones, you're a doctor. You know, the pain and guilt can't be taken away with a wave of a magic wand. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe, it, you know, maybe you'll feel better if you share it with us. You know, we all laugh and have a good time. And But Weary Bear, my friend Weary Bear, who lives uh, probably about five miles away from me, if that far... Yeah, I might be. I might be staring out across at his house. You probably right heard now. the crying know. from your house when I took this letter. <laughs> he wrote in this letter, <laughs> just like, uh, it's it's uh, it's good. Yeah, it's good. I, I challenge anyone to come up with a better story. But in the meantime, I'll, I'll let Brad take it away. Okay, Weary Bear writes. In the last podcast, you guys asked for recollections of the stupid things we did for love. Talk about opening Pandora's box. If you turn these letters into an entire show, this is going to be one painful hour. Well, you asked for it, so here's my story. It was mid-August, way back in 1983. What do you mean way back? That's just like just yesterday, practically. There I stood in the breezeway of Forest Lake Academy, waiting for the first day of my sophomore year to begin. More specifically, I was waiting with about 100 other students for the classroom building doors to be unlocked. I didn't expect it. I really wasn't looking for it, but it was in that moment Love walked up and smacked me in the head with a baseball bat. Her name was Ingrid, and yes, she was of Scandinavian descent. No, she didn't have platinum blonde hair or speak with a cute accent, but what she did have was the most beautiful eyes I had ever seen. Big, expressive eyes that melted me when I saw them. It was in that very first moment when she walked up that I knew she was the one. She was my first love, my zing. My heart picked her and from that day on refused to entertain thoughts of anyone but her. Okay, boys, here come the mistakes. <laughs> at first, oh boy, at first I tried to gain her attention to my affection in simple ways. In the 7 a.m. class, I specifically sat in the desk that I was reasonably sure she used in the next period after me. So I scribbled little terms of affection for her on our desktop. Mistake number one, it was not her desk, and my love notes became fodder for quite a few uncaring students throughout the day. Oh, oh. God, just stop there, and it's still a bad story. That didn't work, so I tried a more direct approach by leaving little love notes taped to the hallway locker that I knew was indeed hers. Mistake number two, with every expression of my heart written on paper came a quick response from her in the form of a drop-dead letter handed to me by one of her friends. Oh, no. This isn't working. I needed a new approach, a smarter line of attack. I had to figure out what makes her tick. I needed inside information to solve the puzzle called Ingrid. So I went to her friends, yeah, girls and Rubik's Cubes. There's a book somewhere that tells you how to figure them out, right? I'm sure this is true. Here comes mistake number three. My solicitation for help from her friends proved to be an exercise in futility. Allow me to offer you a scientific truism known only to rejects like me. The coldest place on our planet is nowhere near the North or South Poles. It is the spot dead center in the middle of a group of four or more teenage girls standing on a high school sidewalk. I left that encounter with a bad case of frostbite on 21 of my appendages. Oh. All right. Going to her friends didn't work. Maybe I should try her family. Mistake number four. Number four. Number four. While Ingrid's mother proved to be very kind and sympathetic to my plight, she could offer no helpful insight into what goes on inside her daughter's head. I I'm picturing him like, what do you just stop by? Like, hi, I'm Weary Bear. I'd like to talk to you about your daughter. Oh, come in, son. Ducky. Let me get you some milk. Ducky does it in pretty and pink. I guess that's true. And while Ingrid never told me directly, I'm sure that she didn't much care for my invasion into her home life, especially after her mother took an interest in me and invited me home for lunch on multiple occasions. <laughs> Imagine, if you can, me sitting at the dinner table across from the most beautiful girl in the world, while on the other side of the table sat someone who desperately hoped that I would spontaneously die. <laughs> Ingrid refused to let down her guard, even at home, and I got nowhere trying to interact with her on a casual level. After spending two years exhausting every known method of trying to catch my heart's desire, I was exhausted and still very, very distant from her. So, in the interest of sanity, I decided to back off and take a breather. Mistake number five! <laughs> it was during this time of recovery that I met my future ex-wife. Oh. I knew early on that she was trouble, and I should have run from her screaming with my arms waving wildly in the air, but I didn't. And so now, I have the rest of my life to pay for those few moments of loneliness and rejection. 
To this day, my heart still asks for Ingrid. It won't let go of her, and that hurts me a lot. I try to remind my heart that she is gone. Ingrid lives 600 miles away, has forgotten that I existed over 30 years ago, and never gave a damn about me anyway. But my heart is stubborn and won't give up. I guess that Dennis DeYoung was right when he sang that first love never runs dry. Signed, Weary Bear, Altamont Springs. Wow. Just once, can we figure out what we keep doing wrong? Man, Weary Bear. That's, that's just soul crushing. Soul crushing. God, he ends by quoting I Dennis DeYoung in Desert Moon. Oh. Ooh, God, yeah. Oh man, you talk about mistakes. These, yeah, these are these are mistakes. I mean, but these are yeah. But you know what I like? It's like Ugh. if you're gonna make a mistake, go do it running into the wall 50 miles per hour, and that's what he did. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, he's he's not sugarcoating it. He's no, owning it. No, there's yeah. no, you can't second. I mean, you can't second. Well, I didn't try hard enough. No, you tried hard enough. Yeah, I mean that's that's what always drives me crazy. It's like I don't try. I should have taken it. I should have asked somebody this, or I should have done something that. Yeah. I mean, you just know there's no regret. You left no stone unturned. Yeah, I mean, I respect that a lot, a lot. I'm not kidding. I'm not being remotely sarcastic here, but I'm but I'm also really incredibly uh, sad, you know, to see that you know. His heart still asks for Ingrid. Oh, yeah, mm. that's you know you need a, you need Hang to in there, your Weary own Bear. podcast, Weary Bear. <laughs> so yeah, you can have Steve on as a guest. It's only taken thirteen years of stuck in the eighties, but I'm beginning to start to think about erasing some of the errors I may have made thirty five years ago. Yeah, it's hard to let that stuff go. Give me another twenty years, I'll work it all out. In the meantime, we really do want your letters of dumb mistakes, so please send them our way. The email or, or other letters. Or any letters, yeah, but these are great. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's very therapeutic on many on many levels. The uh, email address is podcast at sit80s.com. the spooky refrain that is I want my mystery TV theme song oh I, yeah really, I love this Seggy this is my favorite now cool and we'll use all, I think we're going to use all these um, clips a lot of these clips I'll use in trivia contests going forward oh yeah so if you're coming to 80s in the sand or if you're coming on the 80s cruise you'll you'll hear this one in particular so pay attention here is the mystery TV theme song from the last time we did this Seggy Yeah, that's Airwolf. I was never an Airwolf fan. I don't remember watching this. I don't know. Maybe I saw an episode or two. Does he play cello? I don't know. I really, you could say anything. I, I'd be like, I, I don't I, know. I, I, I think that's how they like give the character some like oh he's kind of interesting he plays a musical instrument yeah. but it's not guitar it's cello. I just I didn't watch TV. We this well established thing I didn't watch much TV in the the 80s. Someone uh, will correct us I'm sure if it doesn't if he didn't play cello if he played you know the lute or something I don't know. I doubt it was the lute. Cello sounds right. Obviously we were we were in the minority when it comes to people who didn't recognize this. So Brad, why don't you uh, read the winners? This week's winners include Joseph Perdue, who has never seen the show, huh. <laughs> Chris Cooling, Jeff Rocks in Indiana, Alan Titus, OJ in La Coruna, Spain, Tim and Toadsuck, Dave Augie August, Pat Gypsy Juggler Thompson, Canuck and Callie, Jesse El Gato Grande Smith, Jeremy in St. Pete, Aaron Shirley in Burnaby, Bridge, Columbia, Peter Ryan, Scott the Bowtie Man, Joe the Wanderer, and Cal in Atlanta, who writes, you guys are making it too easy. Who wouldn't recognize Airwolf? Okay, other than people who had a social life and didn't spend their teenage years watching Magnum P.I. Airwolf and the AT. I think I may have said too much. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Uh, Brad, spin the wheel and let's find out who won the swag of the week. Mm. The winner is going to be... 
Town Atlanta. You are this week's lucky winner. Nice. You didn't have much of a social life in your teenage years, but we're going to make a good for it by giving you a bottle opener with our logo on it. Woot, woot. Okay, people, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery TV theme song. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com. And tune in next week to find out if you're a winner. In the meantime, we'd like to thank Richard Blade for joining us for this week's show. Amazing conversation. I've been wanting to talk to him for years. So that's uh, there's one of mine off my bucket list. As he mentioned, you can find out more information about 80s in the Sand by going to their website, 80sinthesand.com. They're also on Facebook. Uh, if you have questions or you want to know what the scoop is, you can always email me at steve at sit80s.com. As Brad said, I'll be there hosting trivia contest with Debbie Foreman. Uh, it's going to be a fun time. <laughs> I got like three months left to get like my ass in shape and, and uh, get ready for this. So it'll be fun. And uh, I'll be bringing the books along and hopefully we'll bring some books back signed by Richard and we'll, we'll uh, use them. Yeah, that'd be great giveaways. Yeah, it will be. In the meantime, Brad, myself and the great Richard Blade, we remain here hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Let me Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app. Let me show you.